0: Welcome back, or welcome to the Single Track Podcast. I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and this is the first episode in a series called Eurotrack, where I'm joined by Katie Scheid and Brett Hornig to analyze key races on the European Ultra Trail Running Circuit. In this inaugural episode, We talk about the athletes that American fans might overlook, the key training hubs in the region, the races that matter most on the continent, and differences in training, racing, and sports media over there before previewing Transvolcania at the end of the conversation. This episode is brought to you by Rabbit, makers of the best trail running apparel. So if you're in the market for new kit and you want to support the podcast in the process, head over to their website, make a purchase, and at checkout, use code SINGLETRACK20, 20% 20% off your order. With that, let's get started. This is the first episode of I think what's going to be a five or six part series we're calling Eurotrack, which at least for the first episode, we're going to do a little bit of an intro to the European ultra trail running scene. Katie Scheid had, we had spoken a couple months back and she had suggested the idea that it might be good given the track we're taking with this podcast to have a recurring episode where fans of the show, followers of the show can just be more educated on what's happening in that part of the world. I thought it was a great idea. And I think what we're going to do here today is spend a little bit of time just providing more context for the scene. And then I think later in the episode, we'll talk about the next most important race on the circuit, which is Transvolcania. So also joined by colleague Brett Horney because we're all recording live from Flagstaff AZ right now. But First off, Katie, welcome. Such a pleasure to have you here. I'm super stoked about this this series. So thank you.
1: Yeah, thanks for inviting me to your Airbnb headquarters here. I'm excited to be in America again.
0: It's awesome. And yeah, just for further context, above us, one floor above us, they are live streaming the Cocodona fifty right now. So this house, this Airbnb, has some good ultra running juju flowing through right now. And uh I'll let my colleague, Brett Hornig, say some words to you before we get into it.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is just going to be a really, really great opportunity. Hopefully one of many to come. We just fueled off of some amazing pizza pizzicoletta. And yeah, let's dive into it.
0: Katie, I think the first topic we might consider digging into, and we were talking about this at dinner earlier tonight, is the concept of training hubs. Like We're in Flagstaff right now. It's widely recognized in America as like one of the key places, if not the most important place that an American ultra runner goes to, to train and even live full-time places like Boulder, Salt Lake city have a similar role. Does, does a flagstaff type of place exist in Europe and maybe talk about just the ways European ultra runners organize themselves from like a community-based and training-based standpoint.
1: Yeah. I think this is uh, as I mentioned earlier, it's a difficult question to answer because there's so many moving pieces So I think maybe first would be to think about, like, why these places in the U.S. are considered training hubs. And I think in a lot of ways, it goes back to, like, the roots of ultra running in the U.S., which is a lot of people coming out of college programs. So here we have NAU, which has, like, a really well-known college running program, Uh, which also feeds into all of the professional road running programs in the area. Then in Boulder, of course, you have uh, CU and where else did we say? Salt Lake, I guess, the U also. Uh, So those are your big, like your big Western running schools, good weather, like here you're at altitude. You have access to a lot of the resources that the the like the professional road teams have access to. Maybe you're still around with your college teammates, you still see the same people. So for sure that creates these kind of hubs in the US because the sport is coming more from that kind of background. In general, of course, mm-hmm. this is a generalization. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um whereas in contrast in Europe, first there is no college running mm-hmm. period. Yeah. There is no high school team running. Period. There is no high school sports. There are no college sports. So it's
2: <laughs> club based.
1: Yeah, and it's really something you do outside of school. Is not mm-hmm. attached to school in any way. So that just creates a whole different culture around sports, and of course, endurance sports in general.
0: So when you're when you become like a twenty something or a thirty something pro ultra runner in the sport, and you're based in Europe. Where does that leave you in terms of having a community of people to train with? Is that a priority? And how are you, like, where are you basing yourself? Talk about that.
1: Yeah, I think generally in Europe, it's more normal to live close to where you grew up. And there is way more of this sort of family support system that I feel like at least when I was coming out of college, like high school, college age in the US, it was kind of Uncool to still live, you know, in the same town you grew up in. Mm. Whereas, at least my experience, like in France and Switzerland, like it's completely normal to live like in the apartment below your parents' house or, you know, with your parents until a pretty like old, not old, but, you know, in your 20s, like that's really normal. And a lot of people just live at home to go to university. That's also really common.
0: So is there. Like if I was to say, what is the flagstaff of France or the flagstaff of Spain or the boulder of Germany, would you say that there's not really an answer to that? It's like not a fair comparison.
1: Yeah, it doesn't compare at all. Mostly just because the whole like college town thing is so different. Like the way people go to university is completely different.
2: Yeah, that's definitely interesting how, you know, it almost gets more spread out because, you know, like you mentioned, like a flagstaff, boulder, Salt Lake that's three of like five great options in the U S you might have a couple hundred different great options over in Europe. You had mentioned that, you know, a lot of the, you know, trail runners now are coming out of the collegiate ranks here. Where do the majority of, you know, like professional or elite trail runners come from in Europe?
1: Yeah, I would say they all come from different backgrounds. It's not like everyone's coming from the same place. Uh, for sure, some people come from from their club running teams or from cross country. Um, there's also a, a sport called mountain running, which is a specific sport. Yeah. Um, so people come from mountain running. People come from other sports. But like I feel like everyone has their own little unique story. I, I would say in general, more people come from maybe not competitive mountain sports, but like some type of mountain background either they grew up in the mountains or like spent a considerable amount of time in the mountains with their families growing up
0: you had been saying over dinner that for a lot of these people they're already like they were like born in like because of the geography of europe a lot of these people were already like born into the mountains too and so to go to some training destination from a geographical standpoint doesn't make sense because they're already there
1: yeah i would say in general yes like If you're doing, you know, trail ultra running, then you probably already live in the mountains. And if you don't, maybe you're gonna go somewhere. More recently, people have started to prepare more specifically for some of these bigger events. So you will find obviously a ton of people in Chamonix like in the summer because UTMB has turned Chamonix into a trail running destination. Yeah, but it's more people there specifically training for UTMB, I would say.
0: I was going to say like for the locals that are based in southeastern France in the remainder of the calendar year, like outside of that UTMB week, that that whole UTMB month, you know, August, September, what does Chamonix mean to the mountain running community the rest of the year? Is that a place where people base themselves out to train and stuff like that? Or is it kind of like just the place you go when it's UTMB time?
1: Um, I would say, do you mean for runners? For runners. Okay. Because, I mean, Chamonix is like a skier and climbing destination. Of course, yeah. Yeah, for runners, no. I mean, it's kind of changed in the last couple of years, honestly. Like, more – seen more expats kind of ending up in Chamonix, which to me makes sense because it's hard to live in a place where you don't speak the language. So it's easier to go somewhere where you know you can – One, speak the language because there's like quite a bit of tourism. So people there in Chamonix do speak English and there's other English speakers to spend time with. Uh, You're not going to find that anywhere else in France.
2: Yeah, that definitely makes the barrier to entry a little bit lower. You'd mentioned that there's huge skiing and climbing kind of industry out of Chamonix. Is there enough room to add in a large trail running industry to Chamonix as well? Or are there potentially other like, quote unquote, Chamonix in Europe that maybe should be explored as well?
1: Um, well in terms of industry, most of the trail running industry is in Annecy, which is only like an hour and a half away. So like almost every major brand is based in Annecy. Salmon,
0: for example, right? Salmon
1: is one example. Yeah, Mie, Hoka was was mostly based there before they moved their base to the US. Um, What's Mie? You would say millet. <laughs> M-I-L-L-E-T. See, this is, we don't know, we don't know. This is, this is fascinating. Yeah, I think Technica also. I, there's like a whole business park. It's every okay. single outdoor brand. It's
0: like Silicon Valley in the same outdoor bus- brands.
1: Yeah, it, they're okay. all in the same business park. And people move between brands pretty easily because you can still live in the same place and just work for a slightly different brand. So yeah, Annecy is really the the hub of commerce for the outdoor industry. Okay. In in France, generally. Okay. I know in... So I obviously have a bit of a bias because I live in France, so I see more of that. I used to live in Switzerland, so I was a bit more in the, like, German-speaking culture a little bit. And I know on the kind of... They call it the Dock region, which is, like, Germany, Austria, Switzerland. That region, like, Innsbruck is one of... The, like, centers um, of outdoor and, like, trail running. I know there's a lot of Terex athletes who live there. Um, Ida Hegeman, who's in the North Face team, lives there. Okay. So I get my... Site of the World Champs later this year? Yes. Yes. So actually a lot of people will discover more about Innsbruck this year. That's awesome. Just in two months, yeah.
0: I think before we get further down the rabbit hole of some of the questions that Brett and I have, I do think it's probably fair to address... things that we we don't know about the sport and just as somebody as as an expat based over in france right now you know you've you've consumed some of our content you've seen the way we've talked about utmb you've seen the way we've attempted to you know comment on some of the european athletes competing in american ultra races i won't be offended i think it's important to just address like what are we missing like when you consume our content knowing what you know about the scene like what are some of the obvious things that we're missing in the, in the coverage that, you know, we're probably going to fix in this series, which I'm excited about.
1: I I feel like you guys do like <laughs> not just where is
0: Finn lacking.
1: <laughs> I feel like you guys do a pretty this, good this job. Is my Catholic guilt
0: <laughs> speaking right now.
1: <laughs> it's I mean it is pretty easy to like find just number data on the internet these days. It's not like you really have to know someone in detail to to follow a specific athlete or someone in the sport. So in terms of like athletes, I would say like th- things are reasonably covered in, in the US. I think it's just different because the athletes can be so different. Like the athletes that excel on an American style course can be so completely different than someone who would excel on a race in Europe. And so it's, it's honestly like hard to compare them. You know, if you put them side by side, you're like, I don't, and it depends what kind of course they're on. Like, it's, it's hard to make a prediction. I would say in general, like, of course, sometimes it's hard to have context on everything when you're not like, just like I am not immersed in the American trail running world. So like, I don't even know, Like I have to listen to your podcast to understand a little bit about what's going on and who's who and, which race is doing what and yeah it's more just like the background context
2: one thing that we had talked about in a prior conversation that i thought was really interesting about what was missing a lot from like our point of view in some of the podcasts was just some of the european storylines for like european athletes you know i mean whether it's racing at utmb or like in the states just some of the stories that don't quite make it to you know media people like us just because the story kind of dissolves due to a language barrier. And that was really exciting because you even gave just a few quick examples of like a couple of European athletes at Western States last year. And it was like, you knew these things about them and their training leading up to it. And we had no idea. And that would have made for such a more interesting storyline other than like we have so-and-so from Switzerland and they did this race but you knew like, they had this problem with their buildup and then they've only been training for like six weeks. And like, see, that's what, I, that was one of the big things where I was like, Oh yeah, that is what we are missing.
1: Yeah. I think there is, there can be quite a bit lost in the language <laughs> barrier, especially even if you're reading like translated posts, like mm-hmm. for example, my partner, jean writes all of his jokes, like all of his posts are like just enormous jokes and it's all things that don't directly translate even when I, like, I don't understand it in French, first of all. And then when I try to translate it, it doesn't work. So it's easy to lose track of what's happening, even if it's the person you're living with, you know, if, if the language isn't, isn't right.
2: Yep. And that's where I think that's where I'm the most excited about this segment of the shows. like now we've got you to help us. Figure out read what the French we're missing. Instagram post. Yeah, best. try <laughs> and do your best to turn it into the American equivalent joke for us. Now
1: we all have to learn. We have to find someone who speaks German to to read and yeah. the yeah. Italian posts. <laughs>
2: ChatGPT is pretty good at translating and then translating into how it would be said in in English, but for jokes, yeah, mm. we'll we'll have to see.
0: Katie, just playing on the athlete thread for a second, you know athletes like Killian Jornet, Emily Forsberg, Francois Dane, you know, the list goes on. There are certain household names that transcend the continent and American audiences understand and appreciate them. Are there any athletes that come to mind that you feel to, for whatever reason are either discounted by American audiences or there's just there the marketing around those athletes misses an American audience that you think that, uh, listeners to this show should be more aware of who's underrated is what I'm asking.
1: Well, first I think the the question is like who from the European continent in ultra running, because I know we're being specific to ultra running here. um, Like who do Americans know? I mean, you know, Francois Killian and who else? Beth Pascal.
0: Let's do an association. Like Brett, who Dude. immediately comes to <laughs> mind?
2: <laughs> well, now now that I'm on the spot, I'm like blanking on everything. I They're feel like,
1: like you probably mostly know athletes who have done races in the U.S.
2: Definitely more so than not. It's like either if they raced and had success in the U.S., or Seb are were way up there at UTMB, yeah.
0: like PAL. Pal yeah. We we're going to talk about Andreas in a second for Transvolcania. Um, we talked about Caroline Chevrolet earlier. She was one of the athletes, you know, we, we talked about a dinner. Um, yeah, it's mostly people athletes that are in contact frequently with the UTMB race series or with Western States. And after that, it's a drop-off. I will say just out of respect for some folks in the audience, there are some super fans out there that are going to be like, I can immediately rattle off 50 names. No problem. In fact, I know all the athletes out there on par with American athletes, but I generally suspect that there's a lot of listeners out there in our position where it's like, you have an immediate association with like five athletes, maybe 10 athletes, then it just, there's a dramatic fall off.
1: Yeah, I would say first is like the tricky point of managing the like division between ultra running and not ultra running, which like I, yeah, this is a whole nother thing. But because the first, like in.
2: <laughs> yeah, where is that line in Europe?
1: So, first in Europe. Ultra running is the qualifier, not sub ultra running. I saw how yes. you started a new podcast yeah. and I was, which I honestly laughed at because I was like, okay, so you're just renaming trail running because in Europe, trail running is trail running. There's
2: trail running. And, and then there's, the there's ultra running.
1: running. Yeah. <laughs> that, that
2: translates uh, better so actually.
1: I, <laughs> I feel like that puts in context a lot of like the culture around the sport is like, first there's trail running then there's ultra running. Whereas here it's like it's almost, it's ultra running here. and trail running are the same thing. Yeah. And here's short distance trail running. Yep. So it's, it's a different approach to the same thing. <laughs> yeah.
0: Like if you were to rattle, like if you could rattle off like maybe three or four men on the European ultra trail scene and three or four women on the ultra trail scene, who would they be besides like the Francois, the Killians, Besides the Mimi coat, cause like, yeah, I'd, I'd be curious to know like who immediately comes to mind for you when it comes to like greatness on the European content. And if I'm, if we're, if Brett and I are overlooking anybody.
1: Yeah. I, well, so I put together like a quick list, but these are more like recent names. I mean, there's also like, you know, really well-known people who've done amazing things in the sport, but like maybe aren't competing at that level anymore. So this is more like... <laughs> Yeah, current events. Obviously, I have a huge fr- France bias because I follow it more. But there also are just like way more trail runners in France, uh, ultra runners. Sorry. <laughs> um. So yeah, on the French side, I mean, there's quite a long list <laughs> of men. I would say like Orléans Dunant pala who was second at UTMB 2021. And he'll be coming to Hard Rock this year. Then we have like Nicolas Martin, who actually he goes back pretty far. If you used to follow, like he's he's somebody on the in France who really follows the Federation races. So like he's very much into being on the French team and racing for the French team. So he you will always find him at world championship events. I think he was third okay. at world champs. And he'll last be at Innsbruck year. I'm guessing in I June. imagine yeah he's okay. always following that sir. like he's always following that race he prioritizes that. that. Yeah for females in France like Camille Bruyas of course I'm biased because she's a good friend of mine. I mean, I also purposely didn't mention Jamal because I feel like it's it's mm-hmm. like I can't talk about my own partner as the but yeah. No, but I feel like he actually is maybe known more because he kind of has a link to the US yeah. for me. Yeah. Um but yeah, well, Cammy Brias. With Cammy,
0: do you feel like she's under underappreciated to any extent? Like
1: I feel like she was a like So she I feel like she's been missed a, more than once. Mm. Um, so going into UTMB 2021 uh, we did all of the same races in 2021 where she beat me at every single one. So <laughs> we started 2021 by doing the Italian <clears throat> by doing a race in Italy that was the selection race for the Italian team. And so it was quite competitive because all of the Italians were there, you know, in top form. It was like one of the first it was the first race we had done since since like covid had restricted us to our homes and yeah cammy actually had an incredible run there like where she finished within the men was really impressive and i realized that nobody in the us was following that because it was kind of a it was not a normal like big competitive event it just happened to be the italian selection race but from there i saw she was going to have a really good season uh and then she had the course record at uh just a few months after that and then going into utmb she was like almost overlooked by the american media like oh yeah we should watch her too but it was clear that she was gonna be on the podium (laughs) (laughs)
0: whoops
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah and then she was second at utmb with incredible time only beat by courtney and then when she was coming over to Western States, I also felt like she was, again, kind of missed. Whereas I, like, because I know Cami really well, I know that Western States is a course that suits her even better than UTMB. She's really strong at running, yeah. like faster running. But yeah, I think I'd mentioned to you guys, she had like a really interesting story coming into Western States last year because she had been struggling with Achilles pain since the previous fall. So she had I mean if you look at her Strava from <laughs> that time from like fall 2020 through um I know fall 2021 through her like through Western States she was not running that much like she was doing the, you know the minimum that she could with her Achilles pain and then came in and finished 10th at Western States on very very minimal running which wow. really impressed me I think if you knew the story, it was really impressive. Maybe from the outside, it was like, okay, like she had a good run. She was 10th. But really for me, it was like, wow. Okay.
2: Yeah. I feel like, yeah, had, had everyone known that story, 10th is now like, like, that's incredible. Yeah, It's like, whoa, <laughs> like how did she even finish? But instead it's like, oh, well, you know, Europeans coming and racing Western States. It's very runnable. It's super hot. Like, okay, 10th. Yeah, that made sense. But the context was just totally wrong
1: yeah leading into that absolutely i mean it's a race where i know that cammy can come in like top form and like win i mean i would like to say that i've never run western State, so i can't really (laughs) comment too closely on that but i think but you would put her in that conversation i would put her yeah easily talking about winning yeah yeah
2: you're you're hired for the western
1: (laughs) but you know thanks (laughs) um yeah beyond like let's get outside of france to like get a little more well, can, I, can i ask one question about
0: france you had mentioned that there, like france is a hotbed of ultra running on the continent is that com- like when you compare france to spain or france to germany or france to the uk does france have like a larger stockpile of highly talented ultra runners in your opinion or is it more dispersed
1: um in terms of ultra running yeah i think they're are quite a few ultra running athletes. I think having UTMB in the country helps. I would say in general, like Italy is not a country where like ultra running is viewed in the same way. Like they value uh more sky running mountain races. That's, that's like kay. mountain sport. Same in Spain. I would say it's more focused on shorter distance races so like sky running or whatever brand is owning these races these days but like you know the 20 to 40k distance yeah
0: if you were to create a podium that measured passion for ultra running on the european continent let's just say like france was number one how would you fill out the rest of that podium in terms of countries oh, man.
1: um is this, for ultra this, is, like this is for ultra running the continent so like the UK can count. We'll include the okay. UK too. Yeah. <laughs> I would put the UK maybe up there. Okay. They have quite a, they, they have pretty good participatory numbers, I think. Okay. Um, after that, that's tough. Cause I feel like Spain, Italy, Switzerland are like equal. Okay. And Germany is just catching on to this, to this sport. I mean, they don't have that many mountains. So you've got like a small piece of mountain at the bottom of the Okay.
0: So like from a participatory standpoint, from a fan standpoint, you're, you're saying that sort of the UK and France are in their own category for right now.
1: Yeah, I would, I would have to like, I'm bad at speculating cause I really like data, <laughs> but I would say, yeah, France definitely values ultra running specifically ultra running more than any of the other, it's neighboring countries.
2: So I guess, I mean, you just said you'd like data-driven questions. I don't believe this is a (laughs) data-driven question. In your time living in Europe, have you seen the landscape from either trail or ultra running change just over your time there, Mm -hmm. um, just over the course of the last, like, how many years have you lived in Europe now?
1: It would be seven this summer.
2: Okay. So that's definitely a long enough time to have seen a change to the, I don't know if it's the industry, the culture of the sport shift in event focus has there been anything major like that that you've noticed
1: i would say in the non in the trail running um industry there's been a lot of shifting when i first arrived in switzerland sky running was very much like the premier circuit that you followed and ran in if you wanted to to be like a trail runner and then that kind of Golden Trail kind of came in. There's a lot of politics behind all of this, obviously, in the background, and kind of took over, and now Skyrunning is almost... It's, you yeah, meet, it's Nobody pretty follows invisible it anymore. Uh, and now Golden Trails has taken that over, which is interesting. I mean, they now, like, own some of the same... Or not own, but are... It's, like, taken over. Yeah, they've taken over the same races that used to be Skyrunning. There was even one year when, like, Zegama was both sky running and Golden Trail. I don't know. Yeah, so things are shifting there. That landscape has moved quite a bit. Ultra running has exploded, especially the professional side. There is just way more. Like brands are just way more invested now than when, when I first came to Europe. For sure, I'm, I think you're seeing the same thing here. I don't mm-hmm. think that's that's unique to Europe.
0: For for the sake of not. Uh cuz I could I could probably take us down like seven rabbit holes right now cuz I'm so fascinated especially with the golden trail stuff but oh, but um, this is ultra running and, but this is this, this is, is, not is yeah, the but, sub
1: hub <laughs> 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 yeah. sorry Danny sorry
0: MK love what you guys do um all right so you you had you had given us this awesome list of mm-hmm. uh premier potentially underappreciated in America French ultra running athletes orleone I am going to I can't wait to look into especially for hard rock now that that adds to what's already a very Interesting front of the pack race at Hard Rock. I think you were going to move to Spain next.
1: Oh, Spain, yes. Okay, so for me, this is like one of my heroes in the sport. <laughs> this is All really right. is, is Maite Meara. I don't know. Mm, okay, cool. okay, so you know Maite. So. But, but not enough. See, I'm okay. familiar, I've heard
2: the name. <laughs> heard and the name. then if you were like, name their most significant result, pass.
1: <laughs> I mean, I also, I mean, I can name like the results the races that I was at in which she won when I was there, you know, when I was first doing mm-hmm. some sky running races. So my was like sky running world champion. Um, at least once I am embarrassed that I don't know how many times, um, but so, yeah, she was really dominating the sky running scheme. She won Zegama uh, the year that I moved to. S- so my, f- the first, my first full summer in Europe When I was doing some skyrunning races, Maite was like on fire. She was the one, you know, winning every single race, like covered in blood at the finish line. I mean, I wasn't seeing her at the finish line. I was finishing much farther behind her. But yeah, she was someone I always kind of was following, obviously, because she was, you know, the first kind of champion females I was exposed to. And I do remember one time, like this is my own side story, but I I remember her one time, like we were warming up before a race in Lavinia was like a 40 30 or 40k and I was like scared out of my mind and I saw her and I was like you know oh like starstruck like oh Maite. and she like said good morning to me and like waved and smiled and I was like wow this is amazing (laughs) but no she's she's really kind and um I have had the chance to like meet her a little bit more over the years she doesn't speak very much English so it's Quite difficult. She's from the Basque country. She's a police officer in her small
0: village. Police officer. Yes.
1: Then she decided to do a little bit more ultra running in 2019. And she did The Mute the same year I did. Yeah. Then she did UTMB. She was third at UTMB that year. Yep. Yep. Then I saw her last summer in Valderon and she told me, Oh yes, I'm real. I'm really busy with, um, you know, my job this summer didn't have enough time to train for ultra. So I just decided to do short races the whole summer. So uh, that's something that I really admire about Mayte. She just loves the sport and just wants like, she's not there to like do any one specific thing. She's just like, I want to do what I like, what works for me. And like, just whatever motivates me. Like, she doesn't, yeah. I, I just feel like she's really there because she just loves it.
0: Brett and I were actually talking about this on our run this morning. We were commenting on Tom Evans and how part of what makes him a great ultra runner is he's had these other seasons of his running career that actually made him a better racer in our sport. And, and Brett, if you want, you can go more in depth about this. But it seems like with Maite, like part of her excellence in ultra running, you could even attribute to what she's done in these shorter distance circuits. She's just had more reps at the plate in terms of racing and competition and stuff like that. So well, which is cool. Yeah,
1: I feel like she's someone who can show up to a race and just have no ego about it. No like if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And she's done enough races, she knows there's always another one. It's something I've tried to like kind of take from her. is like a little bit less pressure. Like, you know, you got you got a lot of years to do this. You can do so many different races. You can do a a VK, you can do UTMB, like you you don't have to put yourself in this tiny hole i mean to killian is maybe one of the only other people who can who's like one premier sky running like technical short events and also utmb i mean she hasn't won utmb uh, yet but she Mm -hmm. was third and Mm -hmm. still podium
2: (laughs) yeah so yeah that's actually interesting now the more that i think we have like there's a lot of elite american Ultra runners who don't touch trail races under a marathon, or if they do, it was never serious. You know, I was just training through it. It seems like you do get a lot of uh, European trail runners who have much more experience across a wider variety of trail distances. And I think there's a lot of value in that. It's hard to learn how to race when you only get to race like twice a year.
1: So I'd say in Europe in general, it's more common, at least in France, to like start at shorter distances and move up and like do that deliberately. So like I did that. I did like sky running. I did shorter races. 2017, 2018, I started 2018 at the end of 2018. I did CCC and that was my longest race ever. But I had already done I mean, the whole previous summer I had been doing shorter races. And that's really normal. Like if you go to, I don't know, a 40K race in France and talk to people, you know, younger people who are coming up, they'll say like, oh yeah, like one day I want to do ultra running, yeah. but they don't, that's not what they want to do right now.
2: When you were, I guess, going through the, the distance ranks at that time, did you have a desire to do longer races, but w- was just like, well, everyone's doing this, so I should probably go up through that way too, or was there another, like, was it just the sheer distance? Like, you know, we still see a lot of American alternatives like start out at 50K before they move up to 100 miles because they like, well, 100 miles is way too long. We're seeing that get broken a little bit now. Um, is, is it kind of that fear of the distance or is it just more like this is just how it's been?
1: Yeah, so for, for me it was a little different because I started in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I would say one of the obstacles is that you just don't have a competitive sky race every weekend within like a 5 hour drive in the US.
2: No, there's so few.
1: So, even if you find like a shorter race, it's because it's the you know, it's the short race that goes with a longer race, you know. It's never the mm-hmm. premier event. Yeah. So, true. it's just easier to find races to do in in Europe in general. Like you can go every you can find like six races like every weekend you know like a shorter race yeah and like every italian mountain village has like their race like the entire summer you can go just from village to village and like find a race to do um where you can't really do that here so first that's like the first (laughs) limiting factor Mm -hmm. but i would say when i was starting here yeah like 50k was like the shortest kind of premier length race you could find so that's what i did i did like two 50ks 350ks And then when I, yeah, then when I moved to Switzerland, like I met Germain just after that and that's kind of what he was doing was like these shorter style races, which for me was really cool because they're really steep and I really like hiking. So I was excited about it. Super technical. You get to go to like pretty spot every weekend. You get to race, you know, every couple weeks. And yeah, it worked really well with like my situation at the time as a student because, you could just leave for like a long weekend and you didn't need to go on like a five hour run in the middle of the week. (laughs) You could go to the office and work.
2: Yeah. I guess it just makes more sense than over there with.
1: Yeah. Well, there's just more opportunity to do shorter races.
0: I feel like I've been a bad host and I keep steering us off track on all of the notable athletes. This is totally my bad. And I'm now that I'm thinking about it, because we're going to be doing five or six of these episodes. And, you know, in addition to Transvolcani, we'll talk about, you know, we'll talk, we'll do a UTMB episode. We'll do, uh, you know, episodes, you know, for the remainder of the European ultra trail scene. So we can kind of develop the storylines around these athletes and raise more awareness. Then I think one other topic I wanted to discuss before trans is just the races on the ultra trail scene in Europe that you tend to follow the most Katie. And like for us, the one that we always put on our, commentating schedule is UTMB but like if you were to just create a schedule of races to follow including Transvolcania between you know March and October of each year what would be like the six or eight races on that list
1: so this is only ultras or only ultras only ultras, only ultras. okay so it would start in February with Canaria. yeah so outside of the March window but so I also feel like this is gonna change a lot in the next year or two with the new utmb system because we're already seeing races like for example istria like had i mean that's a race we hadn't really heard about until this year when a bunch of people went there to try to get their points for or their stones sorry for utmb so forgetting about how it's about to change mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> prior to that i would say it'd be trans grand canaria the mute which also unfortunately this year got a little bit overshadowed, not overshadowed, but like people needed their UTMB stuff and went to Istria instead of the mute. Whereas normally the mute would have had a deeper field. Um, Still had like pretty good showing this year, but not as much as we've seen in the past, but we'll see if they hold out on UTMB or not in the future. And then after that, it would be Lavaredo in the Dolomites, uh, which I feel like the Americans know pretty well. And then the fall is, it's more the French races. It's tem, Les Templiers, yeah. um, which the Americans also generally know because they do a good job about bringing, or they at least used to be good about bringing Americans there. And then Diagonal des which is technically not on the European continent, but is part of Europe, technically. Yes. <laughs>
0: you brought up a really interesting topic that brett and i and leah we discuss a lot in these episodes and it revolves around whether we're seeing evidence that you know professional athletes like yourself are buying into this utmb system and it's like the equivalent of like paying to play like they're going to go to these satellite races they're going to get their stones they're going to get their qualifiers to the big dance you know when we when on the american side of things when we saw jim walmsley race history we're like wow looks like jim has bought into the system like when we saw zach miller do that tar aware we're like wow Zach has bought into the system. Do you get the sense that you know more and more athletes are are buying into this system and rallying around it, or are you still seeing like athletes kind of picking cho- picking and choosing races that inspire them, regardless of what the races are attached to, from like a global circuit standpoint?
1: Uh, I think there's both. I mean, for sure, like yeah, Jim needed his stones uh, or his entry and yeah he knows like he if he wants to do UTMBS to play the game it's part of the game so um i think he used it as like a way to practice running his 100 miles i'm not sure if it's really like that healthy um from an organization standpoint to like be forcing athletes into running mm-hmm. because I- as a side note, like I've never run a hundred mile race besides UTMB. So yeah. I can't imagine like having to run a uh, hundred mile race and then just to get in. Yeah. But that's you don't right actually. You, well, uh, yeah. you, have, you can send a nice <laughs> note asking permission to change your category. Anyway, that's like, we'll see if that changes. I think they're still in like a big learning phase right now and I think things are going to shake out. Uh, hopefully for the better. I'm not. Yeah, there's there's new
2: qualifying rules every week.
1: <laughs> yeah, it seems like so. Yeah, <laughs>
2: this, this whole last few minutes could be irrelevant. Tomorrow. Yeah,
1: we'll see. Um, yeah, I know. In in some ways, I think it's it's it will be good for the at least the elite level of the sport because it does put more people in the same places. Yeah. Um, like when I saw that everyone, like not everyone, but when I saw a lot of different people going to Istria, I was honestly like kind of second guessing myself because I had chosen eco trail Paris over Istria. I was kind of Mm. considering the two and I was like, Oh, well, you know, it's just shorter travel for me to go to eco trail. It's probably going to be the same amount of competition at both. So I'll just go to the one that's closer. And then when I saw there was like more athletes going to Istria, I was thinking, Oh, maybe I should have gone there. It could have given me a little bit more stimulus or, you know, Mm. but I mean, I'm happy with my choice in the end, but I, I think it is interesting to see, like, maybe it's something in the future when I make my race calendar, it's just, you know, I open up the UTMB page and like go through which races motivate me there on that list. If I like for a race that I want to be competitive, they got you right where (laughs) they want you. Yeah, I know. And then after that, like fill it in with uh, like other races that, you know, inspire me. But I think every athlete has they can really make their own decision here. It's I feel like some of the complaints are you know people think or implying that like UTMB is making their decision where it's in the end you're the one pressing like register. Yeah. You you, feel you like don't have
0: to do still it. Still a lot of choice. Yeah. Even just setting aside the politics of the situation which we could talk about in a future episode or, or on or honestly, you know, you know, don't have to, but do you, do you get the sense that athletes in Europe, European based ultra trail athletes, is there, is there a general excitement for the UTMB series? Like when they think of like events they're going to do, were they going to do these UTMB events regardless of the new qualifying system that came into place? Cause I do feel like there is some division. There's a lot of division in, in the American side of things, but I'm, I'm curious to get your sense of whether there's more unity in terms of excitement for the series in Europe.
1: Uh for the series? No, I think I mean it's similar reaction like people like making fun of it. I mean, it's mm. okay. UTMB itself is a whole different thing. Of course, people like, you know, that's a lot of I mean, that's like a target on the calendar. The series itself, I'm not so sure. I feel like it's still so new. Yeah, there's we, still we the need like time stages. to see what's going to happen with it.
0: Another thank you to sponsor HVMN. HVMN is my choice for exogenous ketones. If you are curious about using exogenous ketones in your training, racing, and day-to-day life, head over to HVMN.com. Get a bottle of Ketone IQ, and if you want a 20% discount in the process, use code SINGLETRACK20 at checkout for 20% off your next order. I think one more, just last Bit of discussion before we get into Transvolcania is just: Are there any other differences or interesting insights about the European scene in contrast to the American scene that are that are worth discussing in this episode? Whether it's the way fans interact with the sport, or the way the media creates stories around the sport, or the athletes themselves or the races—anything else interesting we should cover before getting into Transvolcania?
1: Yeah, I think <laughs> there's obviously a lot of like nuances. So on different continents, different cultures. I mean, it also obviously varies, like, country to country. My, like, <laughs> little anecdotal story is that my very first race in Europe was in Italy. And I was um, – shout out to Hillary Girardi. It was her birthday. Another American expat. And I would say, going back to before, like, she's also someone who isn't covered that much in the U.S. and yeah. um, does great on – not ultra. <laughs> she has done some ultra running, technically, but no. She's a really great technical runner and really good at these like sky races that we were talking about. But anyway, Hillary invited me to a very technical sky race on her birthday, and this is actually where I ended up meeting Sharma, So this is like a <laughs> a great race, the Lavinio, not Livigno, the Limone uh, sky race. So anyway, I'm on the start line. This is my first like race in Europe. I'm wearing. I I moved to Europe with two suitcases. So you can imagine I had very limited clothing. So I had my one pair of running shorts and my one t-shirt that like did not match in any way. You know, they're like blue and orange ran, you know, just like a random assortment of clothes that you'd go for a run in as you would in the U (laughs) S just, you know, and, uh, and yeah, I'm on the start line and, Everyone's packed into the starting area with like the big uh, arches blown up. You know, you feel like you're really at this huge event where it's really I mean, it was actually the, the last race of the Sky Running World Series. So I guess it was kind of a big event. But everyone else seems to be wearing like a matching kit of some sort, some brand, like everything matches the top, the shorts, the socks, the the shoes, the hat. They all have their technical backpacks on and I'm thinking, wow, okay, like they're all here for the Skyrunning world series. You know, these are all, these are all people fighting for like the win yeah. of the overall. And then I'm realizing there's like hundreds of people in matching kits. And so I'm thinking, okay, like I am not as fast as these people. Like I should really go to the back. So I go to the back of the corral, like, wow, uh, the, I won't get trampled by all these super fast people. And when the gun goes off, it turns out that actually these are just really well-dressed people. And <laughs> <laughs> I should really have started, not in the front, but like s- somewhere a few rows up because it's just the people just take it a little bit more seriously. And they like, if they're there to do the race, like they're going to invest in like having the nice, like the proper, like up to date in season kit. kit. Okay. Um, I love that. And I feel like this perfectly illustrates the difference between a European race and an American race. We're a little more ragtag bunch. Yeah. Right? There's nobody in like jorts and a tie dye t-shirt like.
2: Or just no shirt. Yeah. At all.
1: <laughs> well, first you would have, there's required gear first of yeah, all. So like you can't just be shirtless.
2: That was one of the biggest <laughs> things I heard about like, like Europeans coming. Kind of, they're like, you don't even have to wear a shirt in this race. Like you just. <laughs> Judge yeah, I know. Shot. I was packing
1: to come here and I was like, oh, I should check the mandatory gear for Western States. So I have all, so I have my like miniature phone and cup and survival blanket. <laughs> I don't think there's a list. No, there isn't. No, there's no list. No. So yeah, I would say just in general, like there's a general sense of seriousness, even in like throughout the pack. It's not just the front. It like very much in the middle of the pack you'll still find very serious people um not in like a bad way it's just like yeah. they put in their time and they like care about what they're doing and they they're not like there to make jokes about it you know?
0: Yeah, i love that story
1: and i would say the the last thing is like people you will find people who are like fighting for 70th place as opposed to 73rd place like it's it's not like oh it doesn't matter anymore. It's like people are there to do the race, and they like <gasps> I appreciate that. Like it's you don't, yeah, it's a race, yeah. A race. A yeah.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Last question on this front, Katie. Do you? This is something I'm curious about. In is there a European equivalent to an I Run Far or a Free Trail or a Trail Runner magazine like there is in the U.S. Like, what are the go to media outlets for these? european athletes that are stoked on the sport and want the stories on the elite athletes they want the stories on races all that kind of stuff
1: um i would say the media is still a little behind like the news kind of what you guys are doing like there's no podcast there there aren't that many podcasts um a lot of people i've talked to or heard through Jarmo are listening to the American social like the american podcast media so yeah it would be great to cover them more because there you do have like followers and listeners from the other side of the ocean it's yeah i would say french media is still very much based in like traditional magazine writing stories you know like three days after a race happened like more traditional media which it looks like it's nice to have a magazine and have nice pictures of the race but you already know what happened Like it's you can find out, you know, within seconds on your live tracking app. So I think that's something that would be interesting to see come more to Europe.
0: Well, yeah, I think, I think in future episodes, we will spend more of the conversation going deep into the given race for that week or that month. But I, I love just setting the table with episodes like this because I think it just provides great color commentary and just more depth and insight into more about to discuss we probably have 10 or 15 minutes left here to talk about the race this coming weekend. We're recording this on Tuesday, May 2nd Transvolcania by UTMB is this weekend. I think we can talk briefly about like the ambiance of the event before going into the men's and women's races, but Katie maybe lead us into this by just talking about what excites you about this race, what it means in the context of European ultra trail running and yeah, just what, what draws so many competitive athletes to the starting line
1: yeah so i will preface this by saying that i have never been to la palma and i have never done this race one day though maybe (laughs) yes i would really like to one day jamal my partner is currently there and will be racing and so all the like on the ground information i've gotten has been via text from him but this is a yeah very very well-known race um what I think is really interesting about this race is that it's, in France, they don't really count something as an ultra until it's over about 100K.
2: So We've had this conversation, <laughs> how I thought the U.S. needs to redefine the ultra marathon. So, yeah.
1: so uh, this is kind of like trail in ultra. this this gray zone between trail running and ultra 70, running. 70K? Yeah, it's 76K. 76K. So. 77k one of the
2: things i love about european ultra running is that they don't have to round off an even yeah. it's just the trail is the trail and yes it just comes out to whatever it is whereas all american altars are 50k 50 mile 100k 100 mile we'll do laps around the parking lot if we need to <laughs> I,
1: I had this it, in one of the questions that finn had said ahead of time i had written like yes <laughs> Distances do not have to be an exact distance. It's just whatever the distance is.
2: <laughs> yeah. I, r- I reminded Finn of that on our run this morning. I was like, Finn, did you ever run in a time pre GPS watches? He was like, No. And I was oh, like, Oh, wow. And I was like, See, I, I have. So, like, I'm just going to finish the run. I'm probably just going to hit save. You might ask me, How far did we go? I'm,
0: I don't know. Mm-hmm. Brett, by the way, Brett, st- Brett stopped us at 11.85 miles. My mind was almost blown.
1: You should run in kilometers because sure. you're more likely to hit a round number. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so anyway, I would say this, this race is really interesting to me for two reasons. One, it's like this gray area between ultra running and trail running. So you can, it gives a little bit of benefit. I mean, it definitely gives benefit to people who maybe don't do that well managing really long efforts but have like the endurance to last longer than 40k Mm -hmm. the other interesting thing is that we're very much Mm -hmm. in the (laughs) gray the gray area of ski season ending and people starting to run again for those athletes who ski most of the winter Mm -hmm. so it's a yeah trying to think about like you know trying to predict things is really hard because it's it's Trying to guess like, okay, who's coming off ski season with enough running legs and who is fast enough, but also can last long enough. And then another really specific thing about this race is that there's, it's more or less like one up, one down. So it doesn't require, it requires a different type of management than another 76K race, I would say. Mm.
0: One question, I'm sure Brett has a few questions off that one question I have is with your partner Jérôme, what brings him to this race?
1: So he, he did like a full schemo season this year. Um, and his first main goal of the summer was the 90 K du Mont Blanc, which is the marathon. It's part of the marathon du Mont Blanc. Um, and as he was trying to plan out his racing calendar, he was thinking, oh, it would be great to do at least a race sort of at the beginning of the year to get like a gauge on where I'm at coming off of skiing, just, you know, to know what he wants to work on moving into the 90 K and then later into UTMB. And then, yeah. So, (laughs) so that's actually funny because he he thought, oh yeah, like let's, I I think it would be a good idea to go this race. There'll for sure be like some people to race. It'll give me a good gauge on my fitness with running, what I want to work on. And then soon finds out that this is like maybe one of the deepest men's (laughs) field in a long like i yeah for any type of race really like
2: the depth is
1: deep so very deep it's it's not
2: a not a quiet rust buster so
1: i think he will very quickly figure out what his strengths and weaknesses are i don't think he'll have any alone time
2: (laughs) that's a question i had actually is so coming from kind of like a european racing mindset from a difficulty standpoint where does this? course profile lie like is this seen as a pretty difficult course or like more runnable not too intimidating in terms of terrain because i think i like from the u.s side of point it's like this is a very hard race like really gnarly downhill you go through a lot of different climates like it's seen as maybe one that you can run a decent amount but it's like you have to have really good mountain legs to do this race where yeah, I think. That...
1: Well, first, I would say hard is a relative term because That's true. You're trying. hard. Huh? Um, <laughs> every race should be equally hard. Yeah. but um, like also like to complete. The, yeah, trail. but also this is like really different because when people ask me about, I've had like people in Europe ask me, for example, about Lavaredo. When mm-hmm. they're like, "Oh, how is Lavaredo?" and I'm like, "Oh my god, it's so hard because you have to run the whole time, and mm-hmm. it's not technical, so it's so hard because you have to keep running."
2: Yeah. so 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 if you're just asking about
1: technicality i mean i've never been there what i heard from is that it's i mean the climb is like super long it's very runnable i think you're running the whole climb um it's a little sandy in places and then the downhill he told me is technical it will like kind of go in intervals of non-technical to to quite technical
2: okay i would perceive that as difficult So all right, that answers my question.
1: I would perceive it as more fun than runnable. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay. That's fair.
1: Just playing devil's advocate. Yeah.
0: So, Katie, maybe should we start with the men's field or the women's field first in this race?
1: Uh, let's start with the girls, the ladies.
0: Kay. Run us through some of the the names that because uh, we're we're on the free trail fantasy page right now and. I'm sure there's going to be a number of folks that are looking to make educated picks who are, who are some of the top names that stick out to you and, and why. And, and yeah, walk us through your favorites.
1: Yeah, I would say the, so I have four names that stick out to me the most. Um, and that is Mimi Kotka, um, who I think, yeah, I, Mimi, Martina, uh, Fiona Port and Meg McKenzie. Um, I don't know they're ranked at the, with highest UTMB index, however much weight you want to put on that. And then just above them in the, in just above Meg in the UTMB index is Antonia and Alessandra, who I don't know at all. And I tried to look a little bit into their past results and I really, I don't know much about them. So I just don't even, I I don't even know where to place them.
0: There, there's one person on that list, Martina, I'm going to, I don't want to butcher the last name here, but Val Mossoy. Val Mossoy. Val Soy. Brett, Brett and I have a, a running joke about, you know, a spot. Well, Brett's already fast. I'm not fast, but fast media people in the sport. And Martina, I believe, also does a lot of marketing work, race commentary work with Solomon. And so not only is she a, a strong runner, but she's a, she's a very talented media person as well. Leagues above us.
1: Martina is is extremely talented. Um, She is very good at everything that she does. Yeah, I would. I think this is the first year she was able to sign with Solomon as a full athlete. Before she was more based in um, yeah on their media team. And this year, I believe she's. I don't know if she's still doing content for them. I actually didn't ask her, but I know that she is actually fully an athlete this year um yeah and she's she actually has a ton of great results especially considering that a lot of times when she would be at races it would sometimes she would sometimes be racing one day and doing media work the other day so like for example uh she did the 90k du mont blanc the same year that i did and the next day when i was just lying in bed you know the post, post-ultra, post just like feeling sorry for your tired body. Martina was like out on the course taking photos of the marathon event. So she, yeah, she's a hard worker and Amazing. she gets stuff done. Yeah. yeah. And she's also an extremely talented schemo athlete. So wow. if that just makes you feel less <laughs> good about yourselves. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I would say Mimi, I haven't heard from in... I haven't talked to Mimi in a while, but, um, she is always, always comes, comes to big races like in good shape and, uh, always a huge threat. I actually haven't, don't remember the, we actually, yeah, she, we raced together in a 40 K last year and I would say that she is faster at shorter races than people might expect. So Hmm. I think it'll be interesting. Okay. She's, she's speedier than you might think. Okay. Um, but I think it will be interesting with Martina because Martina is a very good technical runner. So the last downhill could be something where Martina's able to make up time. I'm not really sure who's gonna be stronger to the top. Um, I know Martina had a very good skimo season as usual. She wasn't able to ski as much this year as in the past because she had a climbing accident in the fall. So she was like pretty pretty stuck at home for a while there, but she did come back for the end of the schemo season and was third at the Pyramenta with her partner. So she's definitely like in good shape. So I had, I didn't go check to see how much she'd been running recently, but, um, I saw she did like a more local race in Italy a few weeks ago. So it seems like she's taking things seriously. I guess she came off the Solomon training camp. So for sure she has some kilometers in her legs. It's great Intel. Yeah. And then Fiona is another one who Fiona is French and lives, um, not that far from me as the crow flies, very far from me. If you want to take a car
0: as the car flies, as the
1: car drives. <laughs> um, but Fiona also does a lot of schema in the winter, so she should be pretty fast and uphill. I'm, I'm guessing, uh, and then, yeah, we'll see how much she's not very active on any type of social media, so I'm not okay. sure how much running she's been doing but yeah, she'll, she'll be up there. I'm sure. And then Meg, of course I know <clears throat> as well. And, um, she's been putting in the, the kilometers in rainy spring Chamonix. Okay. So yeah, I think she'll, it'll be a good start to the season for her. I know she has some other big trail go goals planned for the summer. And then, yeah, the other two women there on the UTMB ranking, I I don't know at all. So I,
0: can't really comment Um, of of the women that are lined up for this race how many do you believe are in serious contention for the win
1: i would say for the win probably martina or mimi
0: okay and then podium is it more expansive like
1: yeah then i would include fiona and meg and uh i honestly don't know many of the names on this list I think this race—we
0: call them random ballers.
1: (laughs) Random ballers, ballers. (laughs) call them like people who will probably win and prove me wrong. (laughs) Yeah, I would say this race does attract quite a wide range of athletes because it kind of touches the ultra running athlete, and it also touches people who maybe do shorter races but want like a longer short race. (laughs) So, (laughs) spans all categories.
0: Any other interesting storylines on the women's side that we should discuss before reviewing the men? Okay. I'll bring us through the U.S. men, and then we can okay, talk collaboratively about the rest of the field. I, I noticed 23 men on this fantasy free trail list with a UTMB score above 800, which I think is wild. The U.S. is sending a unit. You've got Jared Hazen, Stephen Kirsch, Jeff Mogavaro, Tim Tollefson, Tim Frericks, and Dakota Jones. Did a little bit of Strava sleuthing on all of these guys. Hazen, I believe, he was in Flagstaff until about a month ago. I think he went to that Solomon training camp. And I had heard through the Gravevine that he was moving to Europe for the summer. I think he's been in El Paso, Spain, training for the last week or so. Tim Frerichs just joined him there. Tim won Transvolcania back in 2017. That was part of Tim's heyday in the sport. He was just on a run, on an absolute run in the sport. Steven Kirsch. Steven was lined up to run Sonoma. I think trying to get a world spot back in April decided last minute, not to do that race focused here. Instead he's been running 13 to 15 hours a week for the most of March and April training here on Eldon and Flagstaff training in the grand Canyon. And then, um, Tim Tollefson, uh, similar to Kirsch, just a lot of training pieced together, a lot of consistent training pieced together the last two to three months. Um, Tim frericks. Uh, training with Cody Reed. It seems like a lot of those Coconino Cowboys are back together. They're just missing Jim. I'm assuming Eric as well, unless Eric has been Strava Dark. Brett and I have been talking about Jeff Mogovero quite a bit. Jeff is, I think, very high on Brett's list. He's been training out of Missoula, Montana. Endless laps on Mount Sentinel there. Partners with Adam Peterman on a lot of these runs. Stock is rising. Ran 22.50 at UTMB last year, um, which I think was... It was such a competitive year. It was like he was in the, I think, back half of the top 20. Um, He's also mixed in a lot of Nordic and Schema in the training. I've seen some 20-plus hour weeks on Strava. Last thing here about Dakota Jones, hard to say exactly what he has been doing. I know from social he's been nursing injuries at times. He mentioned in a 38-mile long run that he logged on Strava about two weeks ago that he needs to stop signing up for these spring races. And I can, uh, you know, back him up here. It has been hard to get the dry trails in Salt Lake City this winter. We've had a record winner, but Dakota has a lot of history at Trans I think this is his fifth time lining up for this race. He won this race back in 2012. He beat Killian fourth at this race in 2015, 10th in 2014. This race put him on the international map, I think, back in 2012. He kind of shocked the world beating what looked to be a well rested Killian who was starting a season. So, that is the American coming contingent. off his key season. Coming off his key season, different than Daco- well rested. And <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. That, thank you for correcting me there. And he in Dakota had been coming off a of, uh, a win at Lake Sonoma earlier that year, so he had been primed. But um Brett, any comments on the American field there before Katie goes into the European field?
2: Yeah, I feel like you know, I mean, one that was a massive list that you read. There's a good handful, like. You didn't list any random ballers. Like you listed like a bunch of certified heavy hitters, but you also listed some certified heavy hitters who maybe haven't hit a grand slam in yes. in a while. I mean, we've got two two past champs with you know a lot of question marks. You know, like there's a lot of question marks around like Jared Hazen, Tim frericks Dakota Jones. Just ran the Gorge fifty k, and it, I know it didn't probably didn't go the way he wanted it right. to so there's some question marks there uh you know tim you just didn't have the 2022 that i'm sure he had envisioned you know with things right. just not going great at western states and then just getting sick before utmb and you know that that was yeah that was a, a rough year so you know first big race back in a long time Stephen kirsch he's I feel like he's been on the cusp of like that great race. Um, maybe even like a similar narrative to like where Cole Watson's been at where like everyone's like, Oh yeah, Stephen Kirsch, like he's, he's going to be in it for, you know, top five every single time. Whereas I'm sure he knows and you know, his friends training partners know, like, no, he should actually be looking to win these races. He just hasn't put it together the way he wants to on these days. Um, it's like, I know his ceiling is higher than what a lot of people might think it actually is. So I'm really curious, like, you know, of course not every single one of them is going to have the best day. Like that's just, that's how trail running works. Um, so I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm just very curious, you know, who, who's going to be able to put it together in an early season race. Um, kind of like Katie had said, you know, season, a race like this early in the season, where are the running legs at, um, coming off the winter ski season? Jeff Mogavaro is one of those question marks as well. Like, I don't know what his running has really been like. And he did get in a lot of skiing this winter.
0: One and excellent points, Brett. And, and one last thing I'll just comment on before we turn it to Katie here. If you look at most of this list, these American athletes, they ran straight through the winter. You look at a Stephen Kirsch, a Jared Hazen, for example, they they didn't have a skimo season. They are not multi-sport athletes by and large. Like they are year round ultra runners. And, um, I just think that's a curious point because I'm sure Katie, as we go into the list of Europeans racing this, like this is probably their first major running event and the culmination of maybe their first training block in six months.
1: Yeah. I think, uh, coming off the ski season, especially in this kind of context can, it will be interesting to see what happens because I think the people who are the athletes who are showing up from cold weather places just a few days before the race even are going to have some issues in the sun. Um, That's definitely going to be a factor. I will say that I do think this, what Schemo can give some of these athletes is it does give you pretty good uphill legs. um, If you're able to like kind of translate that to running with enough time. And I feel like that bump can, can last a few weeks. At least that's what we've noticed. So this will kind of be (laughs) looking at where the intercept is between people's ski seasons, how much downhill time they were able to put in on their legs, who can run a fast technical downhill. And yeah, I I think that I think what's going to happen is that some of these American guys are going to push the pace on the runnable uphill The ones who've been running quite a bit and the ones who are used to runnable uphills, (laughs) which we are not in Europe. Um, That's something that I would say a lot of these European athletes, like it's maybe one of their weaker points. Andreas is pretty good at at runnable terrain. And um, yeah, he's had some really strong results the last couple of years. So he could he could be a factor, but I think what's going to happen. This is my prediction, <laughs> is that there's going to be like a fast group to the top of the big climb, which is like half the race, and then it's going to be either someone from that group who is actually able to run quickly down technical down down a technical downhill, or somebody who maybe goes out slightly slower but can completely bomb the downhill.
2: So even though it's you know, like we were talking about the course profile, be like one big climb, one big descent, the descent's still long enough where you don't necessarily have to be immediately attached with the leaders.
1: No, I don't think so. Uh, especially knowing that there are huge differences in technical running ability in this list. Yeah, definitely.
2: And that's, that's been one of the biggest struggles of Americans racing anywhere overseas, is that they try and lean into the runnable climbing abilities and ultimately screw themselves on the descent because then the descending is just for recovering. And in a race like this, you can't be recovering on this descent if you're trying to win.
1: Yeah. I think this is where like, if you do have a sky running background or you are your primary mode of racing is like shorter trail racing, you, but for example, like David, Charest, he, he, has like a ton of he's an Italian guy. He has a ton of experience on technical shorter races. He's he hasn't had any like huge, you know, top of the, mm-hmm. the international scene results. But like he'll be able to do the downhill really fast. Jarmo um, of course, like I know he's an extremely strong downhill technical runner. So like he's that's not going to be his biggest challenge normally. But because he is just coming off a of schema season, that's where it's like, okay, yeah. Also Sebastian Krogvig, very good technical runner, but also lives in the snow, did a lot of skiing this winter, not sure like yeah. where he's gonna like maybe he could be the fastest. Maybe he's not it's not gonna be awesome. maybe he won't be ready for it. I don't I don't know.
2: <laughs> I'm learning that this is a very difficult race to make your picks for. In fantasy free trail, this
1: would be the most I can't even pick because it's no I'm, idea. <laughs> wow, well,
2: huge kudos to whoever went. Someone has to win <laughs> fantasy free trail. And oh man, maybe this is my chance because I'd always do so bad normally.
1: I would say Andreas, he is at the top of the, you know, he has the most points from UTMB, but I also, it, he doesn't do as much schemo as, um, as like Jarma or, or um, Sebastian Krogvig, but he, uh, yeah, he runs more through the winter. Pretty good at like runnable style stuff. He, that race I was mentioning that Cami had her amazing, yeah, race at which was the Italian selection, the Porte Pietro in twenty twenty one. Yes, um, he won that, and like, yeah, again, not a well known race, but like, if you were there, that was an incredible performance, and this. Trans is more in that same time zone. It was like eight. I think that race was like seven hours maybe. And this is. And, and this is
0: Andreas, right? This Andreas, is Andreas. Yeah. yeah. And I, I recognize Andreas because he was on the podium with Adam Peterman at 80K Worlds in Thailand last year. Mm-hmm. Super cool. Uh, Katie, one thing I noticed, at least in this men's field, that was a pattern just based on their UTMB racing history. A, a lot of these athletes take a lot of figurative shots on goal. They race quite a bit, but there does seem to be a pretty consistent pattern of either showing up and having like this epic podium performance or blowing up in effing. Like I've seen a lot of mixed results with Damian Humbert, for example, INL Manol, Ricardo Montani, Philip Oserhofer, even Sebastian Krovig to some extent. Like there does seem to be this mixed history and I'm I'm curious if any of these people are like capable of you know a back half of the top ten type day if if the race isn't totally going according to plan or it's like I'm only there to either podium or top five or like you know I'm not finishing this race because I'm going to live to fight another day.
2: <laughs> what
0: are your thoughts there?
1: Yeah, I would say those like consistency is something that if I were to like be forced to pick someone, mm-hmm. I would probably start by first crossing off the people with the most inconsistent results. Because yeah, this is, if there's a race where inconsistency is gonna show itself, it's like when you're on the start line with that deep of a field, like as soon as you have a self doubt, you're gonna be passed by like six people. So I think it's important that, I mean, yeah, if I wanted to pick somebody, I would pick someone whose results show like some sense of confidence, (laughs) I guess, in the past. We, we also didn't mention, I think it's young key. He, I watched him on the live feed of Valderon 50 K last year. and He's a very good technical downhill runner. And so is, um, Christian Manole. So the, I actually had kind of marked them in my head as like those could be an interesting factor, um, because that race was quite technical actually. Uh, and they were both, they finished like within a minute of each other. Uh, so they were like pushing till the end and, they, they are both very talented, like 50K-ish in that range. I think Yankee was at OCC. Yep. I don't remember. Yep. Was he on the podium?
2: Not yeah. a huge jump up in terms of distance for total time for this race.
1: From Yeah, no, no, similar, yeah. a little bit shorter. With, with
0: Yankee, he looks like he, he, you know, he, he's DNF'd at UTMB in, in recent years, but uh, did win the UTMB Puerto Vallera race, the inaugural Mexico race there, and was third at Iger Trail.
1: Yeah, I think he's normally stronger at at shorter races, but I do know that he also um instead of stopping a race, he will just like kind of jog it in. Like I I've looked at some of his latest Instagram posts actually and he had said at Penny he just decided to re- Finish not running. my day, but yeah, I'm still just, gonna finish it. yeah which i respect like that's yeah,
2: commendable if for you're, sure
1: if, <laughs> if you're there and you're not broken like go for it so yeah we'll see i, I think he could be yeah maybe a factor maybe not
0: this, this has been awesome and just to close up here uh looking at potential contenders for the win and podiums who in this men's field do you feel has a legitimate chance to to win this race and if if you were to pick a podium. Uh, who, who are you putting on there?
1: Oh, wow. This so is, many fantasy free so... <laughs>
0: trailers are depending on this right now. Not the thing is
1: in, that like, okay. I really, I mean, I obviously, <laughs> this is really hard could be, because is on know? this list, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but no, I mean, like I think that Sebastian Krogvik could have a really good race here, but I also am worried because I don't think he got there that early. And I think it could be hard coming from Norway in the heat. Okay. So that's kind of my the one thing I'm like a little concerned about. I would say I I can't even like pick one, but I, I would say like in no particular order, Andreas like maybe Dakota, because he's won this before, so he knows Ooh. he knows like what he would need to win. Mm-hmm. Um but I also have no I haven't been following him in the last few years, so I have no idea what he's, he's up to. He's kind of a ghost. Uh,
0: li- yeah. He goes Strava dark frequently. I mean, the last I saw him, you know, he had a phenomenal day at Javelina last year, Brett, you were out there with him on the course quite a bit and in passing and even sharing miles. And when he's having a good day, he looks good.
1: Yeah. And then I think like Jared and Jarmo have already been training. They've been spending quite a bit of time together there the last week. So maybe they'll end up running together a bit. Yeah. I mean, I do actually honestly think that this could be a great race for Jarmo depending on how he's feeling coming off the ski season. He's I think he's had a, I think he's been running for four weeks.
0: Well, I'm looking at our schedule here for the next, you know, six months. I'm really excited about this series. We have, we're going to be previewing the Lavaredo race and the 90 K marathon du Mont Blanc in June. We're going to do hard rock and Valderan in July. I think we'll, you know, we'll also do UTMB with Leah in August. I'm very excited about that like Tom Pellier and Diagonal de Fou in October of all these races. Do you think Transvolcania is the most up in the air in terms of the certainty of, of who can succeed here? Like, do you feel like this one is the hardest one to pick for? How do you feel about that?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think just the timing in the year, like with a lot of the European athletes coming off skiing, although I, there actually are not any like, I think Jarmol is the only one who did a full ski ski season. Yeah. He's the only one who did a full ski race season on this list actually. So, um, which I think just shows that people are really specializing a little bit more now. Um, but yeah, I, I would say it's hard to pick because of the timing, like coming off the winter, we don't have any previous races to really base anything off yeah. of. And then also the distance and just the format, like, this sort of like middle <laughs> distance ultra not ultra um and then kind of the like one up one down more or less like you don't yeah there isn't as much like trying to decide what to do on you know the second downhill or the third downhill yeah
2: you kind of just let to you get to let it rip after that
1: you do have to survive the last climb. 300 meter climb but
2: yeah i've heard that one's rather heinous yeah and then that there's a riverbed at some point. of
1: Apparently, the end is quite there. difficult. So maybe if there's a group, like it does matter if you saved a little bit of juice. That could be run.
2: horrible. This sounds like one of those races that I would absolutely wish there was not a sprint finish on.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think every race I would.
2: I guess that's true. That's like <laughs> every like trail ultra runner's worst nightmare. Is like please don't come down to the last hundred meters.
1: But I will say, what is it like a twenty four hundred meter descent? Yeah, there's not many places you can get that anywhere in the mountains at this time of year no uh, this on is foot. super so,
2: difficult course to replicate yeah. in training
0: well katie this has been an absolute pleasure brett pleasure as always uh like i said i feel like a broken record but i'm really excited to continue this series throughout the rest of the european ultra trail racing season katie thank you so much for your time super cool that we kicked this off with a live or not a live but an in-person recording and um i want to kind of do more of these somehow or the course of these are fun but uh katie any any final thoughts either on this race or this type of episode or just other thoughts on uh, the euro ultra trail scene before we close up here
1: not really this was pretty cool it's definitely past my bedtime now though so (laughs) i should go to bed um no no yeah it's it's interesting like i'm i'm really glad that i can give a little bit of insight i hope that i didn't give too much bias towards the french side of things um but yeah maybe we'll have to drag jamal onto a onto the microphone at a future yes. date he, he can give you his race recap <laughs> depending on how it goes <laughs> that would be
0: awesome how about you brett any final thoughts
2: yeah i'm excited to see where this goes um no i don't i don't think there's there's nothing wrong with the french bias at all we need that i mean there's there's this american bias for like years now so it's going to be a good blending i'm excited for it
1: yeah we'll have to hire a german correspondent at some point yes
0: thanks for listening before we sign off if you are a fan of the show please consider supporting us with a rating and a review in your podcast player a donation on patreon or the use of our sponsor discount codes in the show notes we really appreciate your support thank you so much for listening and until next time I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and you have been listening to the Single Track Podcast.